December 22nd. Health and safety gone dead and very much unsafe. Mr. Dennis Picker, the risk assessment officer who had only recently shut down a Christingle service because of the danger posed by naked candles and clove allergies, found hung from a bell rope during nine lessons and carols. Ask not with whom the bell tolls, it tolls with Dennis. Ditvent Calendar, a merry murder mystery in 24 crimes, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. When one thinks of being on the run from the police, one thinks of chained convicts creeping through the Spanish moss of the bayou, the only sounds the clanking of their shackles in the fetid water and the distant baying of bloodhounds, seeking the help of disaffected carny folk and sneaking through the blockades under a layer of sad grease paint and comedy shoes. Perhaps a high-speed car pursuit or a breathless rooftop dash. Not huddled in the back row of an underheated shabby little cinema, dozing fitfully through an all-night movie marathon of Christmas films. There were no crashes or chases, just an endless parade of heart-warming sentiments, syrupy songs and a little too much period racism, punctuated by some rousing snoring and a little less energetic sing-alongs. I managed at least to sleep through Holiday Inn and a large amount of Christmas in Connecticut, though I swear I saw three different Scrooges chew the scenery in at least three different ways. Eventually, though, Clarence got his wings... Zuzu got her petals, and we got slung out into the dim, watery early morning, horribly aware that it was going to be a lot harder to hide in the light of day. Fortunately, as with so many unlikely and ridiculous situations, Shiloh had prepared for precisely this eventuality. Unfortunately, because he is an unlikely and ridiculous person, his preparations included disguises and assumed names. At least it also included some money and a compendious knowledge of -of out-of-the-way places in which to keep warm, find food and, most importantly, wash. Which is how I found myself in a sports centre for the first time since childhood. It was a relief to find out that I had been right all along about never going back. I finally emerged from my shower, feeling slightly more human, only to find Shiloh sitting in the cafeteria surrounded by newspapers. You try the East London Advertiser, he said, throwing it across the table towards me. You try it, I said. There are more important things to discuss than what's in the newspapers. It's not what's in them that's important, he said, but what's not. There is no mention of Mr. Kinch. He hasn't been murdered. And I take all the credit for that, I said, sitting down, thanks to my timely ruining of a very expensive plate of brandy snaps. Shiloh looked up. Mr. Kinch is a leaf, he said, hidden in the forest. Ah, yeah, your tortuous arboreal metaphor. We know that of all his planned murders, Mr. Kinch is the one remaining person that Oscar Bolivar has to kill, said Shiloh, apart from maybe you and me. Pursued by the police and the serial killer, I said. Merry Christmas. Precisely, said Shiloh. Christmas. Today is the 22nd. He has three days left in which to finish his plan, so the death of Mr. Kinch must happen soon. We have to warn him. We have to stop it. 
I realise that you possibly dislike Inspector Street almost as much as she dislikes you, I said, but she's not an idiot, not a complete idiot. She will have seen the inside of that dreadful shed. She will have put two and two together. The police will be all over Bolivar's toys, or at least they will be the moment we show our faces there. And so will Oscar Bolivar, said Shiloh. And we're safer for us, or Mr Kinch, to be, right now, than surrounded by police officers. Come on. He stood up. I didn't. Do you really want to leave that man to die? He said, and turned to leave. I really didn't have a good answer. We disagreed about it later. Shiloh maintained that it was the excellence of his disguises that meant we got through the front doors of Bolivar's toys without being stopped. I was sure that it was the stupidity of them that persuaded the police that they were indeed dealing with maniacs and that caution was wise. The receptionist certainly recognised me. Don't kill me, she said, and then clapped a hand over her mouth, surprised at her own reaction. The inspector has been here, muttered Shiloh. I wouldn't dream of it, I said to the receptionist. We're here to see Mr Kinch. Oh, well, she said, I won't say it, but I'll buzz you through. I'm afraid, I said as we passed, that we're not here to kill him either. The office was a small hole at the top of a flight of worn wooden stairs, made smaller by three bulky old-fashioned desks, looming cubbyholes, and shelves piled high with browning paperwork. Mr Kinch was braced behind a chair at the far end of the room, rather obviously trying to figure out whether he could make it to the door before we arrived. I've called the police, he said as we came in. They know you're here. You won't get me this time. Well, I didn't get you last time, I said. We're not the ones trying to kill you, Mr Kinch. Mr Kinch, said Shiloh, you're in extreme danger. Inspector told me, said Kinch. Maniacs, you are the danger. Why then did I save your life, I said. You have a nut allergy and those brandy snaps had been deliberately adulterated. Why would I have stopped you eating them if I'd wanted you dead? The murderer is Oscar Bolivar, said Shiloh. He killed Mr Wilcox. He's trying to kill you. Young Bolivar? Mr Kinch was confused. Nonsense. On holiday. He's killed 20 people so far this Christmas, I said. One a day. He's only missed two, you and Shiloh here, and he's not going to stop. Absolute nonsense, said Kinch again, more confidently. Why would he? Because he thinks he can save Bolivar's toys, said Shiloh. Your investors, I said. He wants to stop you. More nonsense, said Mr Kinch, who evidently couldn't think of a more disbelieving word. Didn't like it, true, but we have to change. New, a new Bolivar's toys. There was a sound of sirens outside. Listen to me, I said. You know, as well as I do, that those smart young people with their ghastly suits couldn't care less about a new Bolivar's toys. They couldn't care less about the old Bolivar's toys. What they care about is a large factory and warehouse space in the middle of East London. They're going to gut the firm, run it into the ground, and by next Christmas, this will be luxury executive flats for the up-and-coming advertising creative. What they care about is no Bolivar's toys. And young Mr Bolivar is pissed off about it. I... started Mr Kinch, lost for words. The sirens stopped. The police are here, said Shiloh to me, and then to Kinch, the police are here. You should be glad of it, Mr Kinch, not to protect you from us, but to protect you from Oscar Bolivar. Keep them close, because he will try and kill you, and soon. I, said Mr Kinch again, goggling at us. Come on, I said, grabbing Shiloh's arm. Time to go. And a Merry Christmas, 
called Shiloh back at Mr. Kinch as we came out onto the ledge of a landing outside. Somewhere below, boots thudded through the reception. Halfway down the steps was a small door let into the wall. Gotta be worth a try, said Shiloh, and opened it. On the other side were more stairs, metal ones, leading down into the unlit warehouse. We clattered down and into the echoing darkness between the high shelves of boxes. This way, said Shiloh, pointing down a long aisle, lost in darkness. There's a side door. Come on. No, wait. He grabbed at a box on the shelf next to us and tore it open. Inside were boxes of clockwork toys. I concede Mr. Kinch may have had a point about modernising, I said, but now is not the time to play with toys. Oh, it entirely is, said Shiloh, handing me an armful. Take these and get moving. He tore open a box and pulled out a little metal robot. He wound it up quickly and its plastic feet began to paddle feverishly. He put it down and ran after me, leaving it to stomp away from him down the deep valley of the shelves, its radar ears turning, the little orange guns it had for nipples sparking in the dark. He stooped again and a plastic Santa went trotting away, ratatatatting feebly at a drum. Then he passed me, grabbing a box from my arms. Come on, he hissed at me. What are you waiting for? We stumbled through the warehouse, Shiloh distributing the toys I was carrying as we went, so that the vast shadows about us filled with creeping things whirring and clattering, lurching dinosaurs and buzzing little cars, a monkey with cymbals and a monkey on a bike, clowns and ghosts and chattering teeth all colliding and scrambling across the floor. The door we'd come through burst open and we heard the unmistakable sound of police boots come clanging down the metal stairs. Shafts of torchlight played among the shelves, Shouts echoed from the walls. There! No, there! What's that? It's a bloody penguin. Over here! No, it's not. It's a dinosaur. It's a robot. It's a clown. What's this? It's a narwhal, isn't it? And as London's finest chased robots and monkeys around a dark and labyrinthine warehouse, Shiloh and I slipped out of the side door and into the gathering gloom of a winter's evening. You have been listening to Dead Vent Calendar, written by Tobias Sturt from an original idea by Tobias Sturt and Rowan Davis. The story is read by John Millington, and I read the murders. The music is The Slay by The Sportsman and by Mitch Miller and his orchestra and chorus, both from the Internet Archive. If you enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word, and even rate and review it if you can. You can find more on SoundCloud, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, and on our website at ruritania.co.uk slash stories. And tune in next episode to open another fatal window in our dead vent calendar. All the world is blank and white, of snow so cold and crisp and light, with shaft blowing, we are going onward through the night.